Hello, I'm Mercedes Stevenson, and you're listening to The West Walk. Late last week, a Chinese surveillance balloon was spotted hovering over the United States. It also spent time in Canadian airspace. This incident has increased tensions between the U.S. and China, and of course it has all of us thinking about North American defense and security, especially ahead of the president's visit next month. I am joined to talk about this by the United States Ambassador to Canada, David Cohen. It's always such a pleasure to see you, Ambassador. Well, it's great to be with you. Great. This is my first visit in the studio, well, not my first visit with you, and it's great to be here. Well, it's a first visit on a pretty exciting weekend with right. everything that's happening with this balloon. I know that you are briefed on intelligence and security. You're a close friend of the president. Um, Canadians are looking at this and, and they're concerned and so are Americans. What can you tell us about the incident in terms of the significance that, that the Chinese are actually flying a balloon over North America with intelligence gathering right. capabilities? So um, I think it's a reminder of the need for us to be vigilant, the need for us to fund an adequate defense, the need for us to have an adequate technological defense. I think it's a reminder of the importance of NORAD to continental defense for both Canada and the United States. On the other hand, let's not jump out of our shoes here. I mean, this is a, a balloon that was at very high altitude. Um, my information is that there was never any, no American citizens or buildings were ever in jeopardy for this. The balloons were well above commercial airliner flight patterns. Um, and this is, this is not the first time that this type of a device has been floated over the United States. It has happened previously. I think, I think um, that part is remarkable. I just want you to, to kind of talk about that for a second because people are saying, well, this is a sudden escalation, but it's just we haven't heard about this before. I think that's right that we just haven't heard about it before. But it's another reminder that um, when you're dealing with matters of sensitive foreign relations and sensitive intelligence matters, that's not a time where you really want your government to be fully transparent all the time. So um, I think, I mean, I think what's important is, the way I look at this is what's important is, um, it, was, it was known, it was known to our military and, and intelligence sources. Um, there was Cape, there was a capable, immediate assessment as to the risks and the and the dam and the dangers, and conclusions were reached. And I think in the in the in the tracking of the path, um, the you know the position of the Pentagon is that if necessary, if we um, became worried about what it is that could be observed um, through this balloon. Um, we would have been, we were prepared to ameliorate those risks. And it's, I mean, we have to remember that, that we're, China is also, and Russia, I mean, they also have satellites. I mean, much, you know, they have low, low altitude satellites that are constantly taking pictures of all of, of all of the United States and of all of Canada for that matter. Is this maybe more about China sending a message? we can do it if we want to, then what it's actually gathering in terms of intelligence? So I hate to, I hate to speculate what China's motivations will be. Um, and you notice their public comment, of course, is that um, this is, it's, a, it's gathering weather data and it drifted off course. Um, I'm not sure I believe that it's gathering weather data, but it's entirely possible that it drifted off course and that it was not, never any intention 
to have it flying over, you know, over uh, this part of this part of the United States. So, I, so, I, but I don't want to speculate about what China's up to. I am, I'm happy to comment though that this really should be a reinforcement for all of us, for our public, that China is not something. China is not a country to be trifled with. They are. A legitimate threat to the United States and Canada, from a military perspective, from a defense perspective, from an intelligence perspective, and from a trade perspective. And I think it underscores the reasons for sound and consistent policies by both Canada and the United States toward China.、Um, and it doesn't mean those policies are. That we should shut down access of China to our markets, or we should wall off our countries to China. It's a it is a reminder of the need to be vigilant, of the need to pay attention. And you know, I think the United States policy around China is sound, and it's a reminder of how sound it is. Invest as invest in what we do well, and position ourselves well. Align. Align ourselves with our allies, and in particular, Canada, and then compete. With compete having the broadest possible definition, it's not just trade competition, but it's be prepared to push back against military incursions or intelligence incursions, push back against human rights violations, against non-market-based trade practices, and I think it's that integrated approach. Of working with China when we need to and when we should, and where it benefits all of us, but being prepared to push back on China and to recognize that China to the United States—I'll say it this way—China is not Canada. I mean, China is a is a potential threat and needs to be watched all the time, and it is a different relationship. Between the United States and China, than there is between the United States and Canada. Do you think that Canada is tough enough policy-wise on China? Because there's been some questions about、uh, Chinese espionage here, attempts at Chinese、uh, interference in influencing our politics. Is the U.S. satisfied with the position the Canadian government's taking? So I, you know, I I don't know how I would have answered that question a year ago, based on information that I would have had then. But it's pretty easy for me to answer that question now, which is:、um, I think the United States is comfortable with where Canada is with China. You know, coincident with the release of the Indo-Pacific Strategy, China had a Canada had a lot to say about Canada.、Uh, Canada had a lot to say about China and about its relationship with China. And I think we all heard tougher rhetoric. A Greater sense of the threats that China played to Canada and to North America, and frankly, I think we heard an articulation of a policy that was very close to the policy that the United States has adopted vis-a-vis -vis China. So, right now, in my term as United States Ambassador to Canada, I can't really point to、um, anything that that Canada has done. That would not be completely consistent with what the United States would do and is doing in the same circumstance. One last question: The president is visiting next month. What do you expect the focus of that visit is going to be? 
So um, I'm happy we're to the point where you can actually say the president <laughs> is visiting next month. We have a month where he'll be visiting. Um, and, and I think, look, I, the, I think the themes of his visit will, um, will be to emphasize the um, importance of the U.S.-Canada relationship, the strength of that relationship. Um, the president has previously said, and I, I hope we'll hear it again, that the United States has no better friend, partner, or ally in the world than Canada, and I think that will be one of the themes. I think another theme will be the, some of the critical places where we are working together um, around the energy transition and, and the environment and climate um, and, the, and the energy transition. Um, I think there'll be um, I think there'll be conversation um, about some of the deliverables that were discussed in the North America Leaders Summit, where Canada and the United States are very aligned on um, on future economic growth, and on the, and very importantly, on the type of growth. And to use Joe Biden's words, which I've heard Prime Minister Trudeau use as well, we want to build from the bottom up and from the middle out not from the top down, and we want to have growth and recovery that benefits every segment of the economy, every segment of society, and everyone in the economy. And so that's such an important shared value, but it's such an important objective for both countries that I would expect that that would be one of the themes we'll hear about on the visit. Well, and I'm sure there'll be some questions about trade in there as well. Something we hope to talk to another time when we right. have uh, not the situation that is currently right. unfolding, dominating our thoughts. Always a pleasure to speak to you, Ambassador. Thank you for coming. Pleasure to speak with you, and I'm happy to come back at any time to talk about trade. <laughs> I'm going to hold you to that. The premiers are urging the Liberal government to reverse Bill C-75, which they say made it easier for violent repeat offenders to get bail. Calls have grown louder following recent attacks on public transit and the killing of an OPP officer in late December. Opposition leader Pierre Polyev introduced a motion to reverse the bill last week. Conservatives are putting forward a motion in the House of Commons to, reduce, to reverse Trudeau's failed Liberal bail policy and ensure that repeat violent offenders stay behind bars rather than automatically being really released. Joining me now to talk about the state of Canada's justice system and bail is Justice Minister David Lametti. Minister, welcome. Nice to have you here. Pleasure to be here. Do you think that repeat violent offenders, not the first time, not non-violent offenses, but people who've been before the courts and been convicted on a number of charges a number of times that in some way related to a weapon or some kind of violence against another person should be able to get bail uh, the way they're getting it right now? Or, or do you think that that should be more restricted? And, and would you look at bringing in measures to ensure that if somebody is a repeat violent offender, they're not able to get out and commit more crimes while they're on bail? Well, we've, we've looked, we will look at the system. There's no question to see, to see if we can improve it. Uh, it is difficult already. Uh, there, in, in, in at least one uh, gun offense that I can think of, there is a reverse onus already where the where you have a right to bail in Canada. It's, it's a charter right. It's also an old common law right. So it's, it's one of the oldest rights we have. You're innocent until proven guilty. That being said, um, you, you, you can only be denied bail uh, if, you're, if you pose a, a threat to society. In, so, in most cases, it's up to the Crown to show that the person will be a threat to society and therefore deny bail. 
We've reversed the onus in intimate partner violence, uh, one gun offense that I know of, um, and repeat offenders, in theory, should be uh, subject to that higher standard because they, they, they would possibly pose a threat to society. It's up, for, it's up to prosecutors to make those arguments in front of a judge. That being said, we've heard the cry from premiers. Uh, we, we have seen some tragic events and our, our sympathies go out to the families of, of, of Constable Pershala and, and others who've been affected. And so we will do our best to see if there are other places that we can, we can toughen the system up uh, in a way that still complies with the Charter and the balances that we're, we're, trying, to, we're trying to create as a result of the Charter. Um, and we're open to working with the provinces to make sure also that the administration of justice um, at the provincial level, the administration of the bail system works. Um, but, but the you, conservatives you, you are to the, point out. The, the federal justice minister, so you do have the power to make these changes. Are you willing to make it harder for repeat violent offenders like Miles Sanderson, like other uh, offenders we've seen who, who have a, a long history? We're not talking right. about a first time. The, yes, willing to look at, at ways to make it tougher. Uh, what the conservatives fail to point out uh, in the case of Miles Sanderson as well as, uh, the, as, well as the case in southwestern Ontario, um, that the person, the, the, in both cases, uh, the person did have a bench warrant out for their arrest. They'd breached their bail conditions and they were supposed to have been rearrested. Mm -hmm. That so, doesn't seem to be happening in a number of cases. Well, and that's, and that's the administration of the bail system, which, which falls on the provinces, and I'm not blaming the provinces. But if they let's, weren't out in the work. first place, you wouldn't have to pick them up either. Well, it's, it's an ongoing system, right? And so, there, again, the presumption is you get bail because it's a charter right, unless you, you, you are a threat to society, um, or you, 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 it can be shown that you are, or your possibility, you know, but you think in the cases of like repeat violent offenses that goes towards the argument you might be a threat well, to society? Well, it, it should be an argument that the Crown makes uh, in these hearings. Um, we will certainly look at ways to strengthen that. Let's talk about guns. Uh, on Friday, your government announced that you were repealing this very controversial amendment to what was initially supposed to be about handguns. It got expanded to include long guns. Hunters were very upset. Uh, your government defended the bill, said that wasn't the case. You weren't going after those guns. Now it seems you're recognizing maybe you were going after some guns you didn't intend to. What happened there? Well, I think we listened and we heard. Uh, we, it was never our intention to, to go after hunting uh, rifles. It was always our intention to go after handguns and assault rifles. And um, we heard a number of, of important uh, voices in the community, particularly Pauli Soussouvien, who wanted a, a, a definition, an evergreen definition. And, and so we tried it. Um, we didn't quite get it right. It had a little too much reach. But a little too broad. And uh, we're, so we're, we're pulling it and going back to the drawing board. Um, again, we, is we it going to come back as, as just handguns this time, the handgun amendment, or is it going to be broader but not include hunting rifles? I will, I'll leave that to Minister Mendicino to work <laughs> out. He's going to, he's going to go out and consult, uh, I think, pretty uh, intensively over the over coming weeks and months. And we'll see where it lands. But it, it is our intention to keep Canadians safe. It is our intention to ban assault rifles. It is our intention to, to, to ban, um, ban and buy back. It is our intention to ban handguns. Um, we've already frozen to some extent the, the, the weapons that we can, but we want to enshrine this in law. Um, and he's going to continue working on uh, a definition after having consulted, but 
we, we heard people and you know we heard people in rural Canada we heard indigenous voices uh, and we heard hunters saying you caught my weapon and and our response was sincere which is we don't mean to catch legitimate hunting yeah. weapons. It seemed like maybe it wasn't the, the best planned out before it was announced but I do want to it's, ask it's you. It's actually quite in, in fairness it's actually quite a difficult exercise to create an evergreen definition. I, I can imagine with a changing industry but there is one other topic I'm hoping to touch on with you and that's medical assistance in dying right. on Thursday you announced that you're going to be pushing the deadline for mental health conditions uh, being the the reason why people are able to seek medical assistance in dying to March of 2024 it was supposed to kick in last month there's been a lot of concern about this a lot of concern that with mental health it can be hard to tell um, if a person is in a state of mind to make that decision. That vulnerable people could use mental health because they're experiencing anxiety and depression from being unhoused or lacking the proper social supports. Um, and that instead of receiving the social supports they need to get well or to keep them in housing or to make sure they're able to buy food, that they will seek MAID as an alternative and, and these vulnerable people could be exploited. Uh, do you think that mental health should still be a reason why people can seek mate in Canada? Well, let me state at the outset that, that those circumstances that you've just described are not, that do not render one eligible for mate uh, under the mental, under the, under the regime that's, that's been uh, elaborated by our, our expert uh, panel. Even if they go in and say, I'm experiencing severe That's anxiety right. yeah. and depression? No, you should. If you're experiencing severe anxiety and, dis and depression, if you're having suicidal thoughts, you should see it. You should seek a doctor's help. You should seek help, friends, hotlines. The help is there. Those people are not eligible for MAID. The, re the regime, and this is, this is a bit of a so misconception that's being... people who are suicidal are not eligible not at all. for this is, MAID? These are, what you're looking at are, are disorders, mental disorders, mental illnesses that have been treated by experts over a long period of time, uh, and where and where there's no possibility uh, it, it, of 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 improvement. This is this is not a case of suicide. This is some. This is a piece, an important piece of misinformation that is being frankly advanced by by critics who uh, don't want to see uh, this part of the regime move forward, or indeed want to want to us to back away from previous parts of the made regime. This is not meant. To apply to people who are having suicidal thoughts. This is not meant for but people. But how can you guarantee that if depression the, is related to the, suicidal thoughts? Well, the the in the, some people, not in all. The the guidelines that are being that have been elaborated by the expert committee. <clears throat> we've now got an extra year to make sure that those get out to universities teaching medicine to practitioners, the the, the various colleges. Uh, professional uh, bodies across Canada will be able to internalize these guidelines and, and develop uh, the tools so that this gets out to the profession. Those guidelines are quite severe. What, what we're talking about is a very tiny, tiny fraction of cases within another tiny fraction of cases, i.e. the non-end-of-life regime cases. The vast majority made cases are end-of-life. Cancer. Well, so far yeah. we haven't opened it to mental health yet, so we don't well, know those numbers. Well, what we have opened since 2021, a non-end-of-life regime with additional uh, criteria and safeguards, and even then we're, we're now starting to get data based on the, the 2021 regime as of January, um, and getting better data is important, disaggregated data in particular. Um, that data still shows that it's a tiny fraction. Uh, the numbers that I have seen, a tiny, tiny fraction of people who are non-end-of-life. And the 
mental health, uh, people suffering from mental disorders, will be a tiny fraction of that tiny fraction. But the Canadian so Mental Health Association says that you can't determine whether or not mental health is ultimately curable. I'll base my opinion on what Dr. Mona Gupta said, who chaired our committee, who's one of the leading experts in Canada. Uh, she said that the, the practice, the practitioners who are working with these kinds of patients are, are comfortable uh, with the criteria as elaborated and, and actually she feels they're ready to move forward now. Um, what we're doing with this pause is giving everybody a chance to internalize these guidelines and we want everybody to be on the same page. It allows us to combat some of the misinformation that's out there. Um, but this won't open the floodgates. There, this is people suffering from, from mental illness are suffering. People suffering from mental disorders are suffering. Uh, and a number of them, we, uh, we know, would like access to MAID uh, because their suffering is incurable and intolerable. And so they have the same, they should be in the same position as any other Canadian who is capable of making that decision. Minister Lametti, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank, thank you. Time for a little analysis on what I've got an eye on for this week. The Premiers will be here in Ottawa to ask for more money for health care. They want $28 billion, not pocket change. The Prime Minister clearly has an offer up his sleeve and he said that there will be strings attached. Will the Premiers, especially from cash-strapped provinces, be in a position to say no to any deal? And how will the curveball of side deals with each province shape the political strategy in the meeting? The divide-and-conquer tactic with the provinces worked well for the Liberals on childcare, so we'll be looking for that. And of course, we'll also be keeping an eye out for further developments in the diplomatic tensions between the U.S. and China. That's our show for today. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back here next Sunday. I'm Mercedes Stevenson for the West Block.